Hey everyone, thanks for joining. Today I will be speaking to Mike Whitney. He's the Vice President of Sales at Investex. He's an awesome resource and we are going to be talking about the private markets, private versus the public markets. So when you think of public markets, you're thinking of your Amazons, your Apples, companies that you see every day that you can trade very easily. Private markets are before those companies go public and it is a broad spectrum. You've got brand new companies that may never go public, that are super small, may go out of business to late stage companies that do over a billion dollars in sales but are not accessible in a public sense. So there's risks and there's rewards um, and there's a whole gamut to the ways that you can invest. So the thought for the day, get that information over the next 15, 20 minutes and then the action, apply some of that to your portfolio because there are some major returns to be made. We want you to know about them and we want you to have access to them and we want you to take advantage of them. All right, everyone, thank you so much for joining. Mike, thank you for being on with us as well. Appreciate your time. Yeah, you bet. Um, just for the people that don't know your company, Investex, can you give us a, just a, a little overview on the company and what your specialty is? Yeah, uh, thanks for asking. So um, I'm really proud to be part of Investex. We're, we're actually um, headquartered out of Vancouver, British Columbia. Uh, with offices in New York City. Um, as you know, I'm, I'm uh, in the mountains here in the United States, um, but we are a pioneer in the pre-IPO asset class. So what we do is we get access to companies before they go public, but we're looking for companies that are you know, quite large, that have good operating momentum, that are you know, kind of focused in the right spot, and then ultimately what we're trying to do is get your clients access to there, um, give the opportunity for liquidity and provide some innovation in this marketplace. So, um, but our mandate is really looking at late stage private equity where a lot of the growth is actually happening with companies now um, and getting in before they get listed in the stock market. Gotcha. And so the, that late stage place that you play, um, can you, for, for, I think a lot of people when they think of private you know, companies or like, you know, non-public companies, it's just this big, vast abyss. Can you just take me through kind of the different areas? I know you're kind of late stage. What does all that mean in, in like a, you know, 60, 90 second flyover? Yeah. So uh, <laughs> I always like to joke around. I said, let's, let's do the 30 second life of a, of a company. Right. So I'm going to use you as my example. Uh, Eric, you, you came up with this awesome idea and you decided you're going to revolutionize how hockey sticks are made. Right. Um, and what's the first step that you're going to do? You're probably going to go to your friends, maybe go to mom and dad, you know, maybe go to a guy, you know, that's a really good hockey player and say, Hey, I've got this awesome idea. I've revolutionized the way we're going to make hockey sticks. And, uh, what I'd like to do is, is start this company we're going to call it Eric sticks, right? Yeah. So you, you exhaust the friends and family opportunity, right? You, right. You've already gone to everybody, you know, that has money. Um, they're not willing to put any more cash into your company. Where's the next place you're going to go to? I mean, I go to like a bank. Yeah, exactly. Right. You're going to go down the street. You're going to go to the bank. You're going to talk to the bank or they're going to say, okay, this is a great idea or it's not right. Mm -hmm. Assume that the bank goes ahead and gives you that money. There's a couple different avenues that happen from there. One is 
that's enough money. You grow to a certain size and you're just a really happy guy that makes hockey sticks uh, in, in a small little business down the street. Right. Or you have, you know, global domination goals of, of making the best hockey stick <laughs> and everybody in the NHL is going to carry it. And you start to get the interest of some really large investors. Right. And this is the start of what we call venture capital, right? This is kind of the start of where people get that first million dollars or first two million dollars in cash from a couple of small entities. And they buy in with the expectation that candidly, like one in 10 is, is going to work. The right. other nine are probably never going to go anywhere. And for these guys, the early venture capital guys, they're happy with that. Right, because they've done some calculated risk. Hey, this is what we want, and I, you could almost liken that to that show that they have on TV called Shark Tank. If you've right. ever watched that, right? They interview these people that have this kind of business, and hey, I've got this big checkbook, and I'm going to write you a check, and that's kind of like venture capital, right? right? Now, those can stage over multiple periods, but once you've had the opportunity to get your your venture capital, right? The first couple of rounds of funding. And you may have heard this saying before, right? With the, this company got series B funding or series C funding and everybody's all excited about it. But the reality mm -hmm. of what that means is that some really rich people came in with a big check and said, said they're going to fund that company. Right. So, so series A being the first one and then B being the second one and C being the third one and on and on. Yeah. And sometimes you'll see companies, there's some companies that we're offering uh, in the marketplace right now that are on like F, Series F funding, right? Right. And that's great. It means there's been a lot of, <laughs> a lot of interest. But as those series go by, people are paying more for the shares, mm -hmm. right? The company has grown larger and larger. And what becomes really important is what are they doing with that money, right? So are they plowing it back into the company? Are they looking to expand their footprint, right? Are we going, uh, uh, no longer am I just looking at folks that are playing hockey on the Eastern seaboard, but am I trying to get into, you know, the Russian market or am I trying to get into, you know, the market right. in Canada where, and these companies will have different plans and we'll, you know, as investors look through those plans and see, Hey, does that make sense? Do we want to be part of that or not? Um, but Investex specifically is looking at those folks that have already had multiple rounds of funding. These are companies that have been around for eight to 10 years and have had a lot of professional investors that have decided that they wanted to engage with them. They've grown to a size in excess of a billion dollar company, right? right. And then from there, we have some really strict parameters in Investex in terms of what it looks like for their revenues, what it looks like for earnings, what it looks like for burn rate of the cash that they mm -hmm. have coming in, right. um, how their plans have come through, what, who they have in management and why. And then ultimately, do they, are they thinking about going public and are they exhibiting those characteristics of those folks that would want to be going public? Right. So give me like a time frame difference. So you get somebody that's venture capital. What's the time frame to go public versus late stage private equity? Yeah. So that's a great question. So all along the stage, people can change their mind. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so but generally speaking, venture capital, like early stage venture in even mid stage venture is going to be like that eight to 10 year window. Right. Um, there's a lot of things that are happening in those companies in those first couple of years. And that's really important too, right? Who they are, how they're growing, who they're bringing in. One change at year three, right, for a company like this can completely change the trajectory. 
right? right? One good developer, one good manager, one good idea can really change the direction that they decide to go. And that can change the outcome long-term for that company. Where we're at, you know, we're, we're looking at those companies that have already been around for eight to 10 years that are really in that last leg before they're going to go into the public market. Right. So uh, there, there's a couple things that we, as we've spoken, you have highlighted that I think are really good. One is the, that MOIC or, you know, the multiple uninvested capital as a kind of a benchmark for what are we looking to kind of achieve in this late stage market? And, you know, how maybe compares to a, uh, like a VC approach. Can you just talk through that as a, as a way of looking at success in this private market world? Yeah. So, um, you used an acronym and I always like to try and make sure that we're, that we're, um, you know, explaining what that is, but MOIC being a multiple uninvested capital. So essentially if I give you a dollar, how much back are you going to give me in the future? Right. Right. Um, so we have done a lot of different deals. Uh, we've done over 56 different deals and counting. Um, and again, since 2014, we've looked at a lot of different companies. Some of the names would probably be familiar to you uh, and others maybe not as familiar, but they all kind of exist in this same space that we're talking about this late stage private equity. So I always like to go over some of the names first before I talk about the returns and, and what they were. But um, companies like a data miner or Dropbox, Hootsuite, Instacart, um, Impossible Foods, Pinterest, uh, Kraken, Uber, Scopely, um, even SpaceX and SoFi have been companies that we've looked at um, and done investments for clients in. I think we did chat uh, for a minute on those realized gains, right? So companies that we have actually owned and then they've gone public. So in realized gains, we're at an average annual returns every single year, average annual return of 29.6%. When we look at the the MOIC number, right? So this this multiple uninvested capital, what that's gonna look at is not just, um, it's not just the return, but it's over the entire life of that investment, what type of return was I able to get? So we can look at it from a couple of different ways, but what I would tell you is that on average, for the, for the f- deals that we have exited, our MOIC number is in excess of two and a quarter percent. So if you were to give us a dollar, we'd give you $2.25 back. And that's after taking into account all you know any fees or expenses or markups that would come into that as well. Right, and so you're, you're let's just round, well, I'll just say 29.6% is since what year? Uh, the 29.6% average annual return goes back to our inception, which is uh, 2014. Gotcha. So you've got a, you know, a good, a good healthy chunk of years there. And, um, and I don't know how it compares exactly to the market, but I do know it's higher. So there's a little bit of, you know, risk that goes into play. But, but I also know people are always looking for ways to enhance their returns, right? And some of the risks are obviously illiquidity. Um, you yep. talked a little bit about the due diligence that you do, um, but I want to focus on really the 
the the it's unregulated, right? So your, your public market's super regulated. You know, everything needs to have everything's. You know, every I think I is dotted, T is crossed on every ledger, on every broker dealer at the end of every day. Where in the private markets, it's just, it's not like that. Can you talk about some of the landmines in the private market and why due diligence is so crucial, especially in this late stage, uh, where you could you know be investing inside of a in a vehicle that has already been invested inside of another vehicle, like an SPV and an SPV, like maybe talk through some of those landmines. Yeah, so I think number one is knowing what you own is really, really important. Right. And I think, so if there was three things that I think we should address in this, number one is know exactly what you own, right? Number two is how are you gonna get the information, right? right? So private companies are private, right? And if you own a company or even think of yourself as a company, right? So I just think about Mike Whitney. I have no, no requirement to disclose anything about my net worth, about how much money I've earned, about what my spending habits are. I mean, look, uh, not to make this political, but you know, the, the whole idea of like Donald Trump's private company giving up their tax returns has been in a fight for the last you know, six years, mm -hmm. right? And <laughs> the reality is, is that he's a private company and does not have to disclose anything he doesn't want to. Right. So, you know, that's an important factor. And then the other one is not just, you know, knowing what you own and understanding, you know, what, what they're able to produce and getting that inside information, but then ultimately uh, getting yourself in a position to know that when you own it and they go public, that you're going to receive what you thought you were going to receive. Right. So, um, you know, you kind of said that this is an unregulated market. There are some small regulations that still exist here, but nothing like what happens. You know, this idea of inside information, right? We talk about insider trading and all this mm -hmm. kind of stuff at public companies. There's no such thing in private companies, right? Because they're private. There's always inside <laughs> information that they never had to release, right? right? Now, the difference is, and you kind of hit the nail on the head when you said earlier, is there's a lack of liquidity because of that private companies don't have to give you access to their shares. They're not traded on an exchange. There's no guarantee that you can get it. The companies have what's called ROFR, right of first refusal. So uh, again, we liken it back to, you know, you own your own company, right? Well, somebody that works at your company wants to sell some shares and they say, hey, Mike, do you want to buy these shares from Eric Inc? And I end up saying, yeah, I'd love to buy shares from Eric Inc. And I go to buy them and, and you say, no way. I don't want you to be an owner of my company. I'll buy those myself and give my employee the, that money and have a nice day, right? That's right of first refusal, right? They're saying, right. I don't want you to be on my cap table. I don't want to have to answer to Mike Whitney ever. Uh, you know, I'll just, I'll solve the problem myself, mm -hmm. right? Um, but the reality is, is so how do we know what we own? We do a lot of deep research. We call the companies and the companies know that we are actually players in the space. You know, we've done some deals this year where we brought in $48 million for one company, 42 million for another company. And what we're doing is we're helping to consolidate their balance sheet, right? So where they might've had 30 or 40 individuals on that balance sheet, it's gonna be one in individual now, right? The, mm -hmm. the, the big, partnership that is everybody that's putting their money into this SPV with us. So we exist on the cap table for a significant amount of money. And mm -hmm. because of that, 
there, those companies are more likely to be interested in talking to us and giving us information that they don't have to, they're not required to, but they do give us that information. We're able to analyze it and decide, do we like this company or don't we like this company? Right. Can you explain so, what the cap table is? When someone says, I want to be on the cap table, like why is that important? And, uh, and I have a follow-up question a after verified, that. Um, you're a verified owner of that company then, right? Mm -hmm. As opposed to, um, you know, if you want to sit on the cap table, you're essentially like when they have their meetings, right? When they have shareholder meetings, you're invited. You right. know, that's something that's, you know, that's different. We, um, our investors through Investex do not get direct access to the cap table. Investex does. And then you own a proportional share of that partnership that Investex right. sets up for that particular investment. It doesn't mingle. So if you buy into a current offering that we have, that doesn't mean you, you, know, you get access to SpaceX because we did SpaceX before. Whatever you buy is access to that one particular company. Right. Which is important because you, then you, you know what you bought and you know what you own. Mm -hmm. um, candidly, it's a lot like, like muni bonds. Muni bonds, you know, they, they all look, act, and smell the same, just like private companies. They all look, act, and smell the same. But the reality is, is the, the devil's in the details, right? Mm -hmm. When you go through and you start to read the covenants about a, a muni bond and know, is it callable or not, right? Like, what which particular municipality is it tied to? And they trade similarly, right? They still trade over the counter, right? So you, it's one person going to another person, and that's how this business works. Relationships are very, very important in this space. Knowing who to talk to and how to get access to these companies is paramount to make sure that you're actually getting access to those shares. You know, um, it, anecdotally, we've seen in the marketplace that there might be an SPV for a really, really popular company that people got access to and they can't sell those shares. So what they do is they package that SPV into another SPV that all it does is own that next SPV, right? So now I'm paying a layer of fee for the SPV and, the, and all that comes with that, the first one, mm -hmm. and I'm paying for the second one. So this is really popular actually in SpaceX right now. People mm -hmm. are really clamoring to get access there. And because of that, we're starting to see that folks are um, you know, finding interesting new ways to market that to folks. Um, the good news is that Investex doesn't buy stuff like that. Um, we really vet to make sure we know where we're going and that we're, we're actually part of the cap table and that we're able to sit in that space so that when the company goes public, it's one transaction. The company went public, we deliver your shares once it's available to deliver them. Right. I love that. Know what you own. It's, it's so, it's so key. Um, yeah. one last question. And, and I think it's a really good one because you do a great job at this. How do you get access to these deals? Because I know you're, we're, you're, you're, you're potentially in or a client that invests is potentially on the cap table via the structure of the, of the investment everybody's in. But how are we, you know, if someone were to say, I want to go out, I want to find these, I'll find this on my own. How likely is that? And how long has it taken for, you know, your company to get the access that it has now. So funny, like when we started bringing out deals, we would bring out deals that were two and a half million bucks. Mm -hmm. Right. And now, as I mentioned, you know, the last deal that we just closed on a company called Kraken, which is a big uh, online crypto exchange, we were 42 million plus, right? That's a big difference than two and a half or 3 mm -hmm. million for a first deal that we might've brought out. Um, 
now every single one of those is is um, a relationship, right? So there's phone calls that are had. We're presented with 10 to 12 companies a month. Some of them are ones that are on our list of folks that we say, hey, this is an industry or this is a company that we're very interested in. This is a space we'd really like to spend some time. Others are actually the opposite. They're calling us saying, hey, we've got some shares. Are you interested in buying them? Do you want to bring them out? There are online marketplaces where you can go and and they just blast you know, a bunch of different names up there. And, and it's up to you, the individual investor, to then decide if that's a good deal or not. They give you no information on financials. They give you no information on current outlook. They give you no information on management. The difference between us is if we see a company that we think is exciting, but they won't give us financials, they're out of the, they're out of the picture, mm -hmm. right? If we see a company that we think is interesting and, and they won't give us access to the cap table directly, they're out of the picture, right? So we say no 10 times to every time we say yes. And that marketplace, right? So billion dollars or greater, you know, um, revenues and earnings that are increasing at significant multiples, right? We're looking for stuff generally about 40%. Um, again, companies where we think we can get an average annual return of at least 30%. Uh, companies that have been around for eight to 10 years, right? That have been in the marketplace that are known existing. Um, and then two other really important ones. We need to be able to get access to the shares. Right. And we need to be able to make sure that we can, um, that we can get that information to know that we're going to sit on the cap table, right? right? So we put all of those, I always like to talk about like this Venn diagram, right? There's all these different circles. Like we might be able to get on the cap table, but they don't have the earnings that we want. Or we might be able to get the inside information, but they're not going to let us sit on the cap table. So if it doesn't work out that all of those things come together, we just say thanks, but no thanks. We're going to pass. That's, that's um, a really good way of looking at it. Yeah. W with that, Right, comes this fact that we're then able to really distill down the opportunities and only present the ones to you that make the most sense. Right, right. So um, we do a lot of research. There's a lot of them that we put on our, our hot list and say, hey, if ever you will, right, we'd be interested. But you know, whatever that outstanding thing is. But if we can't get it to the point where we like it, then we just pass. That's awesome. So, yeah. Yep. Well, I appreciate your time. I definitely do, given us the flyover, your process, how hard it is to get access, but also the fact that it is possible. And when you distill it all down, you come out with, what's your, what's your typical deal flow when you do all the work you do? Because um, you're, you're fairly active in the space. Yeah. Say like yeah, our goal is to bring out one per month, uh, one new, new company name, one new deal per month. Um, so we're at the very, you know, what we're middle of August today. Uh, we've had six deals so far this year. So we're kind of on pace. We're a little bit behind, but generally speaking, we're feeling pretty good. We'll probably announce another deal here pretty soon. Um, and, and definitely try to be on that pace for, for 12 this year. Awesome. Well, thanks again, Mike. I really do appreciate your time. Thanks for giving us that, uh, that over, overview. And I look forward to talking to you again soon. Awesome, Eric. Hey, have a great afternoon. You thanks. too. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Thought and Action Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to follow the podcast and leave a review. For more information on what's going on in the world of wealth, make sure to follow Family Fortune Financial on your favorite social media platforms. I look forward to you joining again soon.